Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us and that you're on time and not early and all the things. So well done, everyone. At this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ.
Good morning. Hear these words from 1 John 4, verse 10. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning.
the cross. Jesus is waiting. God so loved the world. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and we.
So I am April Kiekenveld. I am the Fusion and Women's Ministry Coordinator. So I just wanted to talk to you guys just for a minute about our women's ministry, um, some upcoming events. So we've been having events um, about every month. Sometimes we have two a month. And um, our next one, we don't actually have one in April because of spring break, but our next one is a Habitat for Humanity build. And that is on um, May 6th. We are gonna have two different times for the build. And it sounds like it's 10 people each section. So um, it's not more than 20 women, but we would love for anyone to join us for that build. Women's ministry is great because it's a um, combination of all of the services. So you get to know people across campus um, and people at Fusion, which is great. So we've had some really, really fun events. We have a good variety of things. So I also just want you guys to know how to find out about the women's ministry events. We have bulletin boards um, out there and kind of all around, but right when you walk in right there to the left, there's always going to be a bulletin board with information about the upcoming events on there. Um, the Hardaway website always has our upcoming events. That's typically how you also sign up for the events is on the website. Um, we also have a women's ministry Facebook page. So we have lots of ways for you to find out about it. You can also talk to me or Yvonne. They, we are both on the women's ministry team for Fusion. So please come and talk to us if you have any questions. Um, we would love for everyone to join. Thank you. All right, thank you, April. Okay, kiddos, it is that time in our worship service for you all to be making your way to the door. And Miss Janice is there. All right, folks, and then we are going to bless them. They're going to bless us in return. There is a slide. There it is. Get it right, Andrew, right? <laughs> Thanks, Lindsay. <laughs> All right, everyone ready? Let's bless the children. The Lord be with you. All right, have a great morning. All right, everyone, before we go to prayer, um, I just want to just note something. Something has changed. If you've been worshiping with Fusion for some time, you've noticed that change. And this was partly due to COVID, but I think it's partly due also to the way we've changed in the way we manage our money and, and how we give. And there are just that many more options. So you've noticed we don't pass an offering plate anymore. Now, I've been in the church since I was just a little kid, and I remember that time in the service, right? And a few deacons would stand up, and they'd walk to the front, and they'd pick up the offering plates. You with me? And then they would pass it all down the aisles, and hopefully it got every aisle, and then they'd go into the back of church, and they'd walk it forward. Remember that? Who was in a church where they actually walked it forward? Yeah, okay, you're with me. Okay. We're not going to go back to that because I think that is a time and a place. But there was something about what was being represented there that I want us to capture and to hold on to and just keep in our minds. It was that demonstrable, tangible worship. There was a meme I saw on Facebook this week that church, it's time to change the stage back to an altar. 
Okay, there was some thinking there behind that meme. So there's this element of bringing our offerings as part of our worship. So with all the changes, and they're fine, right, comes the possibility that we lose the essence of what our offerings are. And so let me just remind us as a community, part of our worship is the offerings that we bring to the Lord out of gratitude for life that we have in him, all that he has done for us, his provision for us, and out of trust as well. We give trusting that the Lord will provide, even if our giving at times may be beyond what we really are comfortable with at that moment. So to bring this back and to honor that role or that part, that offering that's part of our worship, we have offering boxes at the door. I'd like to thank Ron Weirstra for building those. He built eight of them, four for celebration and four for us here. And it's just for you, it's just a place where you can, as part of your worship, bring your offering. You with me? Okay. Certainly, even as you give in whatever means you use, just recognize that you're not giving necessarily just to an organization kind of on par with other charities that might be available to you in your giving. But maintain that mindset. We're giving to the Lord. And that's his call on us. And it's part of our worship. And it's really, I think, one of the means by which he assures us joy. So wanted to bring that to us. The offering uh, boxes are by the door. And that's, kind of, that's our new way. That's what's changed. And I wanted us to celebrate that together. Okay. So now let's go to prayer. And we are going to use a bit of Psalm 84 as we enter in. Please join me. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and a swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Holy God, we are here in this place called by you to come together to worship you. And it is in this place, and it could be any place, where you promise to be with us. We're grateful, Lord, that we don't have to go to a special house or place in order to be with you because you are with us always. Holy Spirit, that you promise that. Lord Jesus, you promised you would never leave us nor forsake us. We live in your presence. Whether we're at work or at school, whether we're in class or here in this room singing and listening and being a part of this worship, we are with you. Remind us, Lord. Remind us on Monday and on Thursday when we're facing whatever it is, whatever challenges, whatever decisions, that we are with you, that you are with us. Remind us of your presence. 
Remind us also of the invitation that you always have open to us to come to you, to bring whatever burden or whatever challenge we are facing, to come to you, to lay it at your feet. You are with us in that. Encourage us, Lord, in in those moments when it might not be all that easy. You are holy. We're living in a culture, Lord, that has actively tried to forget you, intentionally avoids you, seeks to remove you. You will not be avoided. You will not be removed. You will not be forgotten. Lord, may you empower us as your church, as your followers, to be clear and to be open about you in our life. Even if that might mean we are forgotten, removed, canceled, persecuted, whatever. You are fully loving. You did not retaliate. You love in full perfection. You discipline us out of love. You lead us in love. You've given your life for us in your love. Perfect love. Teach us to love like you. Even in response to challenge and criticism and disagreement. Enable us, Lord. Challenge us. Teach us. Empower us to embody your love. We confess that we've not been all that good at that. And we simply pray today that you will continue that work of shaping us so that more and more we might be that example, that imitation of your love. We're so grateful, Lord, yesterday to be able to participate with Feed My Starving Children. And uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about that. But what a celebration to be able to come together and to do some work and to prepare some meals. We pray for those families who will be receiving these exact meals that were packed. We pray for the organization Feed My Starving Children that's very busy at, at preparing meals and serving hungry people in our world. One in nine, an amazing statistic. Lord, may that be zero. And may you call upon us to enable that to be so. So as we come to your word today, open our hearts. We pray for Pastor JB as he reads the scriptures, as he teaches, as he preaches your word. May we be open and receiving of the message you have for us today. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. And good morning, Fusion. Good morning. It is good to be back with you this morning. Uh, last week was, was hard. I, I, I took a Sunday off, and um, honestly, we were in town. Uh, it was my birthday a couple weeks ago, so I am officially in the decade that we call the 40s, and it is good. Amen? Amen. 
Anyway, it's good. It is good. Yeah. But anyway, it was really difficult to not be here. I mean, it was really hard not to come because, you know what? You guys are like, you're our people. And it was hard not to be with our people last week. But it was also really hard because I, I missed the gospel kickoff in our story. You know, we've been in this for 21 weeks and I missed the gospel kickoff. But, but Pastor Bill did a wonderful job. Hey, a couple, a couple things. First of all, uh, thank you, Andrew, for uh, just reminding us that that our giving is part of our, our worship. And, and those boxes, take a look at those. There's some craftsmanship there. I'm sure Ron loves me mentioning him again and drawing more attention to him this morning. But, uh, but they're beautiful. And let that just be a standing reminder uh, that we bring ourselves into this place, not to receive something, but to offer ourselves. We offer ourselves in worship. We offer ourselves to God. We offer ourselves to one another. And our sermon today is going to be all really about that in many ways. A couple of highlights uh, Andrew mentioned in his prayer uh, this past weekend. We did Feed My Starving Children. And uh, some of those numbers, I can, I can report uh, what we know right now is over 100,000 meals were prepared in our gym over the weekend. And I think we can praise God for that. Um, if... I know for us, it was our family's first time participating, and if you're looking for something to do with your kids that is service volunteer-based, it's an excellent opportunity. Uh, Emmy and Bryson, Bryson's five, and if you've ever been here, I mean, he's zipping all over the place, and, and it was great for even him. He, you know, he kind of lost some interest, but then he really gravitated toward the scraper and the dustpan, and he's just going around cleaning rice off tables. Emmy just owned it, and she's just filling bags, and and kind of yelling at grandma and grandpa because they were, you know, maybe missing their cue. Anyway, sorry, grandma and grandpa. Uh, Yvonne's parents are here from California. But it was a wonderful opportunity. And um, at one th and then for me, like, we're just trying to, we overpacked the bag. And then we kind of got our rhythm. And then I was trying to, to play morale because there's good energy and there's music. And so I'm, like, looking around at the gym. This is my first time. And, and I'm seeing all these people, uh, you, you, we put together mana packs and each mana pack, uh, you know, after it's cooked, it's six cups of food. Um, and, and, and so we're, we're packing mana packs. There's all these people packing things. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, how do I kind of boost the morale of all of these, these packers, right? And so I'm like, hey, let's, uh, let's get a cheer going for all these packers. And I said, hey, go, pack, go. go. And, and everyone started giving me dirty looks. And I, and I don't understand in all seriousness. A wonderful opportunity, and there's a spirit, there's an energy there um, because we're doing something good, and as well as just kind of this, this heaviness that is acknowledged uh, that so many people in our world just don't have basic needs, and um, it's all there, and it's a great opportunity. So, uh, but anyway, let's, let's get into our passage this week. Um, last week we kicked off, again, I mentioned our study in the Gospels. Pastor Bill did a, a nice job framing that up, and I was just reflecting, we spent 21 weeks uh, in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, the story of God's chosen people of Israel. We looked at their ups and downs in those 21 weeks. We looked at that journey that brought them to exile and then brought them back to the land of Israel. And a couple weeks ago, we remembered that th even at that point when God brought them back to the land of Israel, things were not as God had intended and so God began to, God was speaking during that time through the prophets for telling of a Messiah who would come and lead the people to live into this vision, this original vision of God calling his people uh, to be blessed in order to bless and bring the nations to God. And so this, this holistic vision of God beginning with Abraham. And then there's this 400 years of, of silence, we say, because there's, there's no prophetic writings 
Uh, but then comes into the scene Jesus Christ, right? And last week we began that, that jump, that look at, at the Gospels. Uh, Jesus' life is told in four biographies uh, known to us as the Gospels. Gospel is, is a word in the Greek that simply means good news. It is good news. And these, these four biographies of Jesus are indeed good news. Uh, and they offer four perspectives to the one historical life of Jesus. This is a cool little, uh, this is kind of like Bible Project Light, and I sent this resource as kind of whiteboard drawings, kind of framing the Gospels and the different books of the Bible. A wonderful resource uh, so far that I've begun to look into it. But those four biographies offer us different perspectives on the one historical life of Jesus. Each one of those biographies, each one of those Gospels are, are, are distinct, slightly distinct in the emphasis based on the author's audience and perspective. Now sometimes we're like, oh, we, we're like, what does that mean? And, and there's a bunch of different ways to recognize this uh, Pastor Nate, who our, our youth director mentioned at staff lunch, it's like if, if a bunch of people witnessed an accident, they would all have kind of a different perspective. It's like that's a helpful illustration. How are there four different accounts and there's just differences? The other illustration I was thinking of was if I went to a, a March, it's, Mar it's March, right? Any March Madness fans? If I went to a March Madness NCAA basketball game, let's say the Big East Championship last night, Madison Square Garden, Marquette University won, yay, okay. Anyway, let's say I was there. I'm a Marquette fan, if you couldn't tell. Anyway, so let's say I was at that game watching the game. Depending who I was telling that experience to, I would kind of emphasize different things. For example, if someone, if I was sharing that with someone who knows a lot about basketball, I could kind of assume they know certain rules and so I wouldn't have to explain things. Versus if I was explaining that experience to someone who had no interest in basketball, I'd have to explain a little bit about the game of basketball. And on, and on a whole totally different thing, if I was explaining to my kids, they wouldn't care about the basketball, right? They'd be more interested in the, you know, $14 cup of Dippin' Dots that I spent my money on, right? Because they want to know about the concessions, right? So I would kind of talk more about that. Depending on my audience would kind of shift on what I emphasize. And if someone was sitting in the front row, they would have a little bit of a different perspective of what they saw. One event that we're all witnessing, but we're, all, we're sharing our experience in a slightly different way. Similarly, the Gospels, the four Gospels, uh, are are, are talking about one single historical life of Jesus, but the gospel writers are sharing with a purpose. These aren't just simply like non-biased accounts of history. No, they want you to know something about Jesus. That's why it's good news. And all four gospels, though they share slightly different emphasis, they all end and center, cent, uh, uh, culminate excuse me, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What makes them good news is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is what we call the gospel. Now, for the past four weeks, beginning last week, we're going to be considering each of the gospel's uniqueness. So kind of stepping away from the flow of the story and for the next four weeks studying each of the gospels. So last week, uh, Pastor Bill did a wonderful job helping us under, wrap, wrap our minds around Matthew's gospel. Matthew is, is, is writing to a, a largely Jewish audience. And we know that because he quotes a ton of the Hebrew Bible. And not only that, but much of the context and things is just assumed. So he's, he's assuming that his audience understands certain Jewish customs. So for us, not in that, we have to kind of do a little, a little digging into the context when we're reading Matthew's gospel. Uh, but, but for Matthew, he's trying to help the, the audience, the readers, 
see that Jesus Christ is indeed the promised Messiah foretold in the Hebrew Scriptures. This is a beautiful connect from the last 21 weeks that who is Jesus? The Messiah, the Son of the living God, if you remember that from last week. This week we're jumping into Mark's Gospel. Mark is... uh, no, uh, traditional will, will name Mark as John Mark. That's how we understand Mark as John Mark, who is a companion of the Apostle Peter. So much of what he uh, compiles in, the, in his gospel are the, the, the accounts of Peter, his companion and friend. Mark's believed to be the oldest, uh, the first of the gospels written. And so that's really important and significant. If you notice, if you're reading Mark's gospel straight through, I encourage you to do that. Uh, it's, it's, his writing style is a little less refined like Luke, who's a doctor, it's just more well-organized. And, uh, and, and then Mark also, I mentioned this in the email, it's almost like he's in a rush to get to the point. It's the shortest, the most concise of the Gospels. And this little interesting fact is, is he uses this Greek word, I can't remember what the Greek word is, but it, it means immediately. And he uses immediately, 41 times in his gospel. In fact, in the first chapter of Mark, he uses it 12 times. I'm sitting here at the beginning of last week just reading, it's like, in the ESV, it's like immediately, immediately, immediately. It's like, it's like he's in a hurry to get to the point. And the point is the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, we know this too, Mark skips over uh, any birth account. Because for a Roman audience, like, they're not that interested. He's writing to the church in Rome. Instead, he begins the beginning of the gospel, Jesus Christ, and then boom, 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 you know, baptism, and, and he just start, temptation, calling of the disciples, all in the first chapter. Mark then, this graphic's really helpful. This is from Bible Project, uh, the uh, video on Mark. He arranges the gospel into two primary movements. The first eight chapters really focusing on who is Jesus, Uh, which is really what we focused on last week. And then the end of the book is how does Jesus fulfill who he is, which is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. How does Jesus fulfill that, which leads us to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And right in the middle, which is where we're going to be camped out primarily in this this morning, is is how does, or, or I should say Jesus answers those two questions. Jesus answers his disciples who he is, and how he is to live into that, uh, really culminating in these three different times where Jesus shifts his focus to Jerusalem, begins telling his disciples what's going to happen there, that he's going to be killed in Jerusalem, and three days later he's going to rise again. We're entering into the story on the third time he's telling his disciples that very thing. And uh, as we read God's word, boy, i got to catch my breath. Okay, as we read God's word, I'd invite you to stand if you're willing and able Mark chapter 10, we're going to be reading verses 32 through 45. Could you tell I missed you? (laughs) I'm excited. Mark chapter 10, the word of the Lord. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, again, the third time, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, 
Let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10, the other disciples, heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for these words of Jesus that have been preserved by your spirit. Lord, as as we reflect, as we ponder, as we meditate on your word, these words of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, may may your spirit do a work in our hearts to be forming us more and more into the likeness of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. God's people say, amen. Uh, I've shared this before, but just to share it again, every, every month, uh, the campus pastors, along with our executive pastor, Pastor Darwin, uh, we get together in a, in a classroom in the basement of the red brick, just, just down the stairs here, uh, in a converted classroom that's been set up for podcasts. And the four of us gather around a table and, and we talk about a, a book that we've read. Sometimes we'll bring guests on and we've had some professors over from uh, Western Theological Seminary and we've had some wonderful conversations about books uh, and moving forward, we're hoping to kind of expand uh, different media platforms. So not just talk about books, but for those of us who maybe aren't readers, but will listen to a podcast, we're also going to record one on a podcast on a book. Um, but anyway, this, this coming week, actually tomorrow, uh, we're going to be recording a podcast on a book that we just have just finished reading by John Dixon, a book on humility titled Humilitas, which is the Latin word for humility. And uh, as you can imagine, this theme of humility really leads beautifully into what Jesus is talking about here in Mark 10. And so I just want to read an excerpt from John Dixon's book on humility. It is a, a story about a certain well-known person from history. And so just listen and imagine with me as John Dixon shares this story uh, from his book. He writes, three young men hopped on a bus in Detroit in the 1930s and tried to pick a fight with a lone man sitting at the back of the vehicle. They insulted him. He didn't respond. They turned up the heat of the insults. He said nothing. Eventually, the stranger stood up. He was bigger than they had estimated from his seated position, much bigger. He reached into his pocket, handed them his business card, 
and walked off the bus and then on his way. As the bus drove on, the young men gathered around the card to read the words, Joe Lewis, boxer. They had just tried to pick a fight with the man who would be heavyweight boxing champion of the world from 1937 to 1949, the number one boxer of all time by many people's account. People have said that Joe Lewis, that he could knock out a horse with one punch. Here is a man of immense power and skill, capable of defending his honor with a single devastating blow, yet he chooses to forgo his status and hold his power for others. In this case, for some very fortunate young men. I don't know about you, but I hear that story. It's like, whoa, you know. It is a compelling and powerful picture of of a certain form of humility, a form of restraint of power. And I think it begins, just begins to offer a glimpse of how Jesus Christ taught and modeled what an appropriate relationship with power actually looks like. Last week, we we considered Matthew's gospel and, and this critical question, who is Jesus? If you remember, Peter's response captured it well. In Matthew, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. True. This morning, we consider Mark's gospel and explore what does that actually mean? And what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God? What does that look like and how would he live into that identity? And really, those last verses of our scripture reading this morning, verses 42 through 45, capture and sum up how Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, by offering his disciples this this stark contrast between the way of the Gentiles, or another way of saying that, the way of the world, in verse 42, and the way of Jesus. And this morning, what I want to do is just simply take those verses and kind of just Look at them one by one, beginning with the way of the world. Let's first look at the way of the world. Mark chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus writes this. You know that those who were regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Again, remember context here, it's important. Jesus is responding to what just happened with James and John. James and John who just kind of pulled this kind of power play, right? Wanting to be the, uh, sit at Jesus' right and left to, to be in this position of honor and authority. And it causes this stir and this dissension, you know, this division among the disciples. And, and, and Jesus then sums up the way of the world in relation to power. There's a lot of ways you could talk about the world, but here in relate, as it relates to power, Jesus sums it up with this one powerful verse. Notice Jesus' language. It's on the screen, some of the Greek, and it's, it's, it's helpful. Jesus' language is incredibly strong in this one verse. This one verse. Those who are rulers, the Greek there is um, arcane, which is like arch, so archbishop or archenemy, like first. It really literally means first. So those who are first among the Gentiles, the Greek there is ethnos or nations, first in, among the Gentiles. And high officials, high officials, um, megaloi, which, is, which is, comes from megas or mega, 
So you get that, like great, mega, we would think is great or even loud. So great men. So exercise, high officials is, is literally great men. And then these two verbs, lord it over and exercise authority over. Both of those words are, are compound words in the Greek with a prefix kata, which means over. And it really emphasizes because the verb there are verbs that are taking a noun and making it into a verb. And the noun in the first one is Lord, curious. Maybe that sounds familiar. It's the, it's, it comes from the root curious, which is Lord. So Lord it over is a really good translation. And then the other word is kata exousia. So exousia is the, the noun there. Exousia means authority or power. If you were reading the, the first eight chapters of Mark, that word is, is throughout those chapters in reference to Jesus, who has exousia, authority, power. So exercise authority over. Basically, what Jesus is saying in very strong language in the Greek is that Gentiles or the nations, the world, leverage their power, leverage their authority, leverage their position. Lord means master, right? Leverage their position in order to elevate themselves over those who are below them to keep them in their place, subordinates. Lording over to, so in other words, the world is to maintain position, status, honor at all costs. This is the way of the world, the way of the Gentiles or the way of the nations, the way of the world. Where we elevate ourselves and we get there by putting others down. That's kind of a summary. And this, what, what's interesting is, maybe not interesting, but what makes sense is that this is exactly what we see James and John doing leading up into this teaching right Jesus think about this Jesus just gets done telling them for the third time that they're headed to Jerusalem and the reason they're headed to Jerusalem is because Jesus is going to die and then three days later rise again the Messiah Jesus is saying is going to Jerusalem to die now that becomes familiar for us 2,000 years later um, right, but, but for the disciples, this would have been such strange, such a strange and nonsensical idea. And, and they seem to completely miss it or ignore it or maybe like because Jesus keeps saying this, it's like, okay, yeah, Jesus is going on his thing. By the way, can we be at your right and your left, right? Like they just, they just miss it because they're operating according to the ways of the world. Except that they're trying to leverage not their own position and power, but, but their position and power is based on their relationship to the Messiah. Hey, we're with the Messiah. And their understanding is that the Messiah is going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to reign as king. How do we leverage this for our own gain? The disciples, this, this way leads to division. How does that happen? James and John believe that Jesus is the Messiah, is returning to Jerusalem to, to rule as king, which is true but it's not in the way that they expect because they're operating under typical worldly paradigms at that time. Notice what they say. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, right? We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Can we, can we just pause there and like recognize like my own personal Jesus? We want like Jesus just do whatever I want. Kind of convicting, okay, for our world today. 
He says, well, what do you want me to do? They say, then they say this, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Now you have to understand in the ancient world, to sit at your right and your left, these are, these are positions of authority and honor and rule, right? Your right-hand man, right? We can't, that, there's some carryover in our modern context. Basically, James and John, they want to ride Jesus' coattails into glory. Oh, we want to we we rule when you reign as king. And Jesus is like, his response to them is, you guys don't get it. And he goes on to talk about this imagery. We're going to get there in a little bit about the cup and the baptism. And again, we're going to talk about that in a little later. But by verse 41, what we read in this very short verse is that when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, we don't use the word indignant all that much in our modern context, but uh, that's Bible speak for like really, 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 really mad, right? Like, like they are, can I say ticked off? I, they're like, they are really upset with, with, with James and John because of what they did. And what it means is like this kind of posturing, this kind of positioning, this kind of power grab, what, what it tells us is it, is it causes division among the disciples, the followers of Jesus. Now again, step back. This, this same kind of way causes division among disciples even today, Amen. When the followers of Jesus begin using Jesus and positioning and posturing in order to grab power and influence, cause division. And I think we see that in our world today, unfortunately. And guess what? It stands in, in stark contrast with the way of Jesus. Jesus goes on in verse 45 to offer a different way, a way that, that turns this whole way of the world upside down. It is the way of Jesus. In, in by the way, this is the central declaration of Jesus' purpose in Mark's gospel. Like, if you're gonna highlight, star, a verse in Mark's gospel, this is the, the verse to star. It's right at the middle of his gospel account. He says this, the son of man did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, what, what Jesus is saying is he's, he's turning the whole paradigm upside down. The son of man, which is Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself, Jesus, the son of man has not come like a typical king, like a typical ruler who will accomplish his purposes by power and force. No, quite the opposite. Jesus didn't come to be served, did not come to be served, but he will serve others to the point of dying on a cross for all. For others. Instead of leveraging his power and his position, as we learned last week, Jesus had all the power and all the position, and the Gospels reveal that. Instead of leveraging power and position to, to uplift himself, Jesus Christ comes and he lays down his power, he lays down his status in order to lift and position others up. This is the way of Jesus. Lowering himself in order to lift others up. Jesus the Messiah, the one promised in the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, right, comes into this world not as a conquering war hero, but as a suffering servant. 
Remember that imagery from a few weeks ago when we were looking at the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 52, 53? Jesus lives into that prophecy. Jesus had authority. Jesus had power. In fact, Mark chapters 1 through 8, there's a lot of stories that are, that are, that are there telling us just that fact that Jesus has power, that Jesus has authority. Mark is testifying to Jesus' power, exousia, and authority made evident in his baptism, when the, when the heavens declare that this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, through countless miracle stories, Matthews chapter one through eight, there's all these miracle stories of, of, of Jesus healing and casting out demons. Why? Because he has authority, he has power, exousia. And not only that, but his teaching had authority. In Mark chapter one, verse 22, it says that the people were amazed because Jesus taught as one with exousia, authority. Even the name Son of Man, which is, again, Jesus commonly refers himself to as the Son of Man. If you look at Daniel chapter 7, it implies Jesus' divinity. Exousia, power, authority, position. But where the Gentiles use those titles and power to lord over, to exercise that authority over and peep others down, Jesus instead lays down his status, lays down his authority, lays down his very life. And he willingly offers his life so that others, like you and me, might be lifted up. That we might find ourselves really in the position that he holds. He kind of trades places. So that we would be considered children of God. And friends, this is the gospel. This is why it is good news for you and for me. Starting in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, after Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus has been right, trying to explain to his disciples what this means, that Jesus, that Christ would have to die in Jerusalem. He repeats it multiple times to, I, to prepare them because, again, this is outrageous, this idea that the Messiah would come to die is absolutely outrageous. It's about as outrageous as if someone were to like to take a to, to say, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, and then that person took a small child who's helpless and says, become like one of them. Oh wait, Jesus did that just a chapter prior, right? It's as outrageous as as if as if someone said to someone who was wealthy, you know what, if you want to be great, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. We'd be like, that's outrageous. Oh, Jesus said that in the chapter before. It's because the son of man, Jesus Christ, willingly entered into the brokenness of this world, willingly laid down his own life on the cross and then rose from the dead. Because of that truth of this gospel, this outrageous, this outrageous gospel that becomes so commonplace for us, because of that, all who receive this gift of grace, there's nothing we can do to earn it, but we receive it in faith. We're reconciled to the Father. Because this way of Jesus, this way of the cross, leads to reconciliation. Jesus reconciles us to the Father in this way of, of love, self-sacrifice, brings reconciliation in other ways. You see, the power plays of the world lead to division, but the gospel, the way of Jesus, the way of humble love, self-sacrifice brings reconciliation. And I don't know about you, but I look at our world and we need more reconciliation. 
Amen. And friends, Jesus calls his disciples to live this way. Jesus calls us as his disciples to live this way. Remember, when Jesus names the way of the world in verse 42, the way of the Gentiles, the way of power plays and posturing and positioning, what does he follow that up with, verse 43? He says, not so with you. Not so with you. You're not to live according to the ways of the world. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. See, Jesus came into this world as a servant Messiah. Jesus came because he would suffer, he would die on behalf of the world. But he also calls his disciples to live with the same servant's heart, a heart of humility, a heart of love for all. It is the way of the cross. Because as Christ's disciples were called to the way of Jesus, the way of the cross. Remember Jesus' response? Remember Jesus' response to James and John's request to sit at the right and the left? I said we get back to this imagery. He says, you don't understand what you're asking. And then he goes on to talk about drinking from the cup that I drank and being baptized with the baptism that I've been baptized with. You see, all of these images, what, what they're alluding to is Jesus' death. Do you remember what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, take this cup from me. The cup he's referring to is the cup of wrath in Jeremiah 25. Baptism would become an image of Christ's death and resurrection. Baptism, which literally just means, you know, being, being submerged, going under the water. And, and Paul would draw on this uh, imagery in Romans 6 and Colossians 2 that, that we die with Christ when we go under the water, baptism. And when we emerge from the waters, we're, we're brought back to life. We're raised with Christ. So these images of drinking from the cup and baptism, you don't know what you're asking. You, you will, you will suffer those things and they will. And then, and then here, the other thing is, even this request, we wanna sit at your right and your left. Did you know the next time that that phrasing appears in Mark's gospel is Mark uh, chapter 15, verse 27. This is at the crucifixion. And we read this. They crucified two rebels with him, with Jesus. One at his right and one at his left. Because for us to reign with Christ in glory requires that we die to our sin with Christ. Jesus calls his disciples to follow his example. The way of Jesus, the way of the servant, the way of humility, the way of love, which is ultimately the way of the, cr the cross. To be willing to lay down our position, to lay down our power, and yes, even to lay down our very lives for the benefit of someone else. And if, if you're sitting there thinking, that sounds a little outrageous, a little too much, a little radical, a little upside down, a little counter, yes, it is. But it is the gospel. That is love. That is what Jesus did for us. And here's the crazy thing. What Jesus promises us is, is the way of the cross actually leads to life. Verse Mark chapter eight, Jesus says this very thing. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life and for the gospel will save it. It's upside down. It's backwards, and yet Jesus says it leads to life. It's a way of love, humility, 
sacrifice. You see, friends, our, our world, even those in our world, I think will, will, will read that story from the book Humilitas about Joel Lewis on a bus in Detroit in the 1930s, exercising this great deal of restraint. And I think most people in the world will, will admire him for it, right? Like, he could have shown them power, but this powerful, mighty man, you know, instead of bringing them to the ground with a single blow, he simply walked away. Like, wow, that's impressive. But friends, do, do we understand that the gospel takes it a whole step farther? The gospel is far more radical and offensive because our God did not just show restraint and mercy, he did. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to willingly lay down his life to die for those undeserving punks on that Detroit Metro bus. Guess what? You and me, we're the undeserving punks. But guess what? That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves me. That he was not just, he wasn't just willing to restrain himself he was willing to lay down his life so that we might be reconciled to God. This is the gospel. It is good news, amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. And Lord God, through, through your servant Paul, you, you acknowledge that to so many it, it sounds like foolishness. Because the, the way of the world, the, the way that, that so many of us are accustomed to, op, like, it's opposite of that. And it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around how does, how does this way of the cross lead to life, lead to victory, and, and then you show us, Lord Jesus, and dying on a cross, and raising three days later, and you call us, Lord, to live this way. Because, Lord Jesus, you have the victory, and you have the power. And, Lord, we pray that you would, you would give us faith to believe this, and Lord, give us faith to begin to live this way, to live out of love and humility, to live in such a way that, that we lay down our own needs and our own wants for the sake of others so that your kingdom would come and your will be done by the power of your spirit here on earth as it is in heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. We invite you to stand and worship with us.
what Jesus calls his disciples and how Christ calls us to live, it can be overwhelming. And like, how can we do that? And the reality is what we just sang about the resurrection, that in Christ we have life, that when Christ comes again, we will be raised to life, life eternal. How can we live this way? Because we know this reality, that even death is not the end, but there is life in Jesus Christ. That's the only way that the cross makes any sense, that we can live in this kind of self-sacrificial way to that end. But as we close this, this morning, I wanna just read because I think Paul puts it better than I can in Philippians 2. And so just hear these words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church in Philippi. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you into the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or leveraged, right? Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is good news, amen? Let me hear an amen. Us in the CRC, we gotta kind of ask for those amens. It's all right. As you go from here, Receive this blessing and receive it with the knowledge and confidence of this good news that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And because of that, we have life. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. God's people say, amen. Let's enjoy some time together as God's people.